Wine gets better with age. So does cheese and whiskey. But what about spies? This is Chapter 6 of Author Talks with Lisa T. And coming up, I chat with bestseller Tess Gerritsen about her new novel featuring retired spies reluctantly pulled out of retirement. She also will share why this is a book she's always wanted to write but couldn't. I love the story that you tell about how this novel about retired spies came about. So why don't we start with that story? How it came about. Yes. <laughs> the origin story. And I th- always think that's the most interesting part of any book is the origin story. Um, it really started about 33 years ago when I first moved to Maine. Um, and my husband is a doctor. He opened up a medical practice and he would always ask for an occupational history of his new patients. And more than once, he would get this answer. I used to work for the government. No, I can't talk about it. And after that happened a couple of times, he thought, what is what is going on in this little town? I mean, it was it's a town of 5000 people um, uh, on a beautiful, you know, the beautiful Maine coast. So um, we thought this is kind of a, a strange thing that people can't talk about their previous jobs. And it was a real estate agent who gave us the answer. And she said, they're all retired CIA. They can't talk about it. Um, So then I found out later on that on my very short street that I used to live on, we had two retired spies on my street. They were neighbors. Um, I found out that the parents of one of my son's good friends uh, were um, a married couple of spies. Um, And there was one period of time, just like a couple months ago, when I was having dinner at various places. Um, and I found out that every single table that I'd been at with other people, there was a retired um, agency person at that table. So um, I began to wonder, what are they doing here, first of all? And what is retirement like for them? Uh, do they, I mean, obviously, they go to the grocery store and the, and the post office like I do. But what do they do in their spare time? And do they get together? Do they talk about their past? Um, and what if one of them gets called back into action and doesn't really want to go? So that that was the genesis of the whole idea as a spy who is retired, who had something very bad happen uh, on one of her missions, doesn't want to go back. And now she's dragged back into it. So as you were experiencing the these little nuggets of that person's a spy, that person's a spy, when did you know that this was going to be a book? Because I got to imagine it's like catnip to a thriller writer to realize you've moved into a town where your neighbors have all these secrets. Well, it's funny because I I knew that it would be a great idea for a book, but I I really didn't sit down to write it until three decades later. And it's it's very strange. It's it's just one of these secrets about your town and everybody knows about it. And it becomes like part of part of just your town lore. But to come up with the actual plot for it, I think it took time. It took time for me to get older. Um, and I think a large part of it is finally getting into retirement age myself and and seeing life from a different perspective and trying to imagine what their lives are like from that perspective as well. That explains a lot with some of the the themes that you tackle in this book. And, and one of them is you really explore and mine the way that the world kind of ignores people of a certain age, which means that they are allowed to get away with things and maybe ask questions and be places they shouldn't be. And that's because people are like eh, a harmless old person. 
Right, I know. And I think that even Maggie says it's it's nice being ignored. Being ignored is a superpower when you're a spy. Uh, being able to slip in places that nobody pays attention to. Um, and, you know, really, after a while, everybody thinks oh, all gray-haired people look alike. So it is. It's the perfect disguise is, is age. But unfortunately, by that time, they're out of the business. And so they can't... You know, they can't use that perfect disguise. I will tell you, I read this book on vacation. I went on a cruise, which I went off season, which means it was a majority retirees, you know? Right. And I started looking around and looking at people wondering, hmm, what did you do in, in your past life? Were you a spy or maybe you're doing something else? <laughs> and and it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, when people get beyond 65, 70, nobody asks them very many questions. They're just not as interesting as the young, vital person who's right in the middle of their career. Um, and we don't really think too much about what interesting lives these people might have had. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Also, that perspective, it took me 30 years to get that perspective. I mean, back then, I was writing about hot young female detectives. Um, you know, everybody was young and, and and vital and we wanted to sell to Hollywood. And of course, Hollywood only wants young people. Um, so this this just took, I guess you could say I had to age like wine as well. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> or that, scotch. <laughs> that all being said, you do have a, a police chief who is younger than the rest of your spies in this book. And maybe I've, I've kind of put the cart before the horse here. Why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about the characters that we meet in the Spy Coast? Okay. Okay. My main character is a woman named Maggie Bird. She's 60 years old. She is a chicken farmer uh, in Maine. Uh, doesn't talk about her past, uh, but you get to find out pretty soon uh, a few unusual things about her. First of all, she's a crack rifle shot. Um, she manages to dispatch the, sh the fox that's killing her chickens. Uh, and we also find out she has a circle of friends that also are very insular. They talk to each other, but they're very protective of their own circle. Um, and then one night, a dead body shows up on Maggie's driveway. Um, and that brings in the local police because now you have a homicide case. Um, and, the, and the cop that first shows that shows up is uh, the acting police chief, Joe Thibodeau. Uh, she's only in her 30s. She is a born and bred Mainer. She's been there. Her family's been there for generations. She's a real solid character who knows her town and wants to protect her town. And here she comes up with this 60-year-old woman who seems remarkably calm about a dead body in her driveway. And she also discovers that Maggie seems to have like a 12-channel security system inside her old farmhouse. And so anyway, there's there's this puzzlement about who are these people? Who is this woman? Um, and that sets up uh, one of the major conflicts. But also one of the fun things about it is the generational divide between this young Joe, Joe Thibodeau, and 60-year-old Maggie. Uh, and there's also the divide between people who live here who are Mainers and people who come from away. So we have uh, we have two sources of conflict here, and that really is 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 how the book proceeds with this the conflict between young and old, uh, here and away. The 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 generational conflict. Uh, another thing I picked up on, and maybe this also comes from you know the fact that you're now older and seeing it from a different point of view is is the whole idea that the older generation can teach the younger generation something if they would just ask them and would listen. <laughs> That's that's right. I mean, we, those of us who've had teenagers, 
they, they go through the stage where mom and dad, they don't know anything. They're stupid, right? It's, you know, kids think they know it all. Um, and that that is the arrogance of youth. Um, they do think they know it all. Of course, you know, they also get a lot of attention paid to them. Um, so that that's one of the themes is that, you know, maybe we can teach them something. And I came across this, um, you know, years ago when I was doing a book about the space station and was talking to a lot of NASA engineers. And some of them were retiring and they had worked on the Apollo moonshot. And they said, you know, there's 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 knowledge here. There's lore. There are things that we've tried. that Young people know nothing about. And yet we're going away and nobody's asking us these questions because none of it was documented. Mm. Uh, so it's, a, a, again, you know, that if you would just ask these older people about things that maybe you're struggling with now, they might have some wisdom for you. Is it a two-way street? Are there things younger people can teach older people besides technology? Because I know everyone always says technology. <laughs> Right. My TV remote, help me. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, there's language. There's a lot of language that's new that's coming in that we are, you know, ignorant of. We, I have to ask my son sometimes. And definitely it's technology, but that's what they, that's what they grew up on. And that's what we grew up after <laughs> or be, before that, you know, that, that happened. So um, I would say that it's mainly technology that, uh, that they have, they have a way above us. I would think one of the fun parts about writing a spy novel and about past spy escapades is being able to dream up these scenarios, which seem completely like would never happen in reality. But at the same time, when they kind of do make sense that you can kind of put your characters into any situation, be like, oh, I'll find a way to get them out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the situations I chose, I, I tried to, to stick with. Um, real situations like the London laundromat and, you know, Russian money laundering. And also, um, you know, some things that were happening in Istanbul. I mean, there's spies everywhere, of course, but there are certain cities in the world where, you know, there are lots of spies hanging out. Um, so it was easy to find the situations to put Maggie in. And this is something of a, of a historical novel in that um, a lot of the action takes place, you know, 20 years ago, 20, 17 years ago. So I, I had to go back and look at the world affairs at that time. Um, but I often put my characters into, into situations that aren't aren't very pleasant, and um, because I don't outline ahead of time, I have to figure out on the spot how to get them out. Now, if I were a spy, I would figure it out, in, you know, like thirty seconds. But since I'm a I'm a very plodding writer, it takes me days <laughs> to figure out how she would get out of the situation. But she gets out of them. She does. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to write a sequel. <laughs> and that leads me to my next question. I know this is the first in a series. Who are going to be the reoccurring characters? Will it will it be Maggie? Will it be the police chief? Will it be the shadowy villain who I can't mention because I don't want to spoil the book? It's going to be uh, the obviously the police uh, police chief and Maggie and her friends, the Martini Club. They will be re uh, recurring as well as Maggie's good neighbor, the farmer Luther Yount and his and his and his granddaughter. Um, so that that core group of community people, I think, will be will be there. Um, and and the next book is very much a local story about a missing teenager and a long dead murder and a little bit of CIA stuff comes into that CIA history anyway, because we do have that history here in the mid coast. Turning the interview just a little bit, uh, you know, when people think of Maine now, they think of what just happened in Lewiston. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. will that affect your story anyhow? Or are we seeing what, what, what Mainers are like in, in their response to what happened? Yeah, you know, Maine has always struck me as being a very innocent and safe place. And um, this was a real 
this was a real invasion for us that something so terrible that happens at other places, never Maine, has happened here. But it's a reminder that the most innocent of places um, can have something terrible introduced. Um, it's unfortunate also because um, that was that's kind of what where my new book opens up is is a uh, a mass murder on mm. Main Street, um, which has connections to something the CIA is doing at that time. Um, but no, that was that was a very traumatic thing. The whole state shut down. I mean, McDonald's shut down at, uh, around the state. All the schools shut down um, and everybody stayed at home. And we're talking about a million people who did not want to leave their houses. That's how shaken everybody was. But, you know, Lewiston is a small community. They know each other. And um, it very much feels like one big family. In fact, somebody told me Maine is one big neighborhood. That's all it is. And, you know, there are times when I would go, I would go, we, you know, we don't have trash pickup <laughs> in the state. <laughs> we had to take our stuff to the local dump. And there are times you go to the local dump and there's the governor throwing, throwing his, his trash away as well. <laughs> so that's, that's how small a place it feels, but in a good way. Your stories involve firearms and guns and people using them. I mean, because of the nature of the stories, is it is that a hard thing to reconcile with when something like that happens that you're you're using for entertainment value? Yeah, you know, thrillers are always. I think we always have have trouble with that when something terrible happens in real life. But um, I try to minimize gun play. I mean, I've always I've never really been too interested in firearms and try to think more about you know the emotional aspects of what my characters are going through, um, and. I remember um, when 9-11 happened and I I had, see, 9-11, um, and I had a book come out on the 13th or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was just right after 9-11. And I, it was a thriller. It was a pretty bloody thriller. And everybody said, oh, thrillers are not going to sell now because we're all, we're all feeling traumatized. When what's going to sell is sweet romances. Mm -hmm. And to my shock, my book sold really, really well because of the sense that people want justice um, when, when they're traumatized. What they really want is a sense that something can be done about what some terrible thing that's happened. And that's where crime fiction comes in. It does give you a sense of relief at the end that there has been justice. And that the good guys win. And that the good guys win, yeah. At the top of this interview, you mentioned getting to retirement points. So you're writing in your retirement. Is that any different from what you were doing? Are you taking it a little easier? Are you having a little bit more fun? Obviously, it's not a quiet retirement. Yeah, well, I, I've been talking about retirement for the last 10 years, and clearly it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Um, I think what retirement means to me is that I'm writing at my own pace. Uh, I'm, you know, I try not to sign contracts anymore. And I'm also writing what I want to write. That's the real, that's the real retirement for a writer is you're no longer on this treadmill. You're no longer a hamster turning out the same books that everybody expects you to turn out. Um, it's, it's part of the problem with being well-branded. You know, they always tell writers, oh, you know, establish a brand and then everybody will know what you are. Um, I hate that. Um, my brand was, you know, ex exciting crime novels, right? And um, I have branched out into historicals. I've done a ghost story. I've done, um, I've, I've done science fiction. And each one of those times I was breaking out of brand and I was advised against it. And yeah, they probably didn't sell as well. But if you're going to be a long-term writer, if you're going to have a long-term career, you need to keep feeding that that creative monster inside you that gets tired of the same diet. I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe he wants to eat elves instead of humans. So <laughs> that that's um, I, I think I've kept myself 
fresh and alive in the industry just by allowing myself to break out some sometimes it, to the to the um uh to the dismay of my my publishing team <laughs> that all being said do you know how many books will be in this series no i don't i mean i'm just finishing up the sequel now um and i've never planned to write a series anyway when i finished um the spy coast the only reason i decided to write a sequel is you know frankly i i thought i was going to miss these characters <laughs> they are a really good bunch and i and i i hated to leave this fictional town of purity and and the martini club now the martini's final question is that a nod to james bond Oh, no, that's what I drink. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's really funny. Uh, people of a certain generation, you know, people who are probably now in their 80s and 90s, that was the drink that they drank when they were young and um, and, and in business. Uh, you know, they drank martinis. And, I saw a lot of that uh, on that cruise uh, I was telling you about. <laughs> Lots of martinis. <laughs> And and it's and everybody has their own little brew that they want. I just happen to love Belvedere vodka, so that's that's what my my Maggie drinks. <laughs> well, I think you know if people are looking for a really great book to get into this fall that's entertaining, pick up a martini, pick up the Spy Coast. Tess Garrison, thank you so much for spending time with us today and talking about it. Thanks a lot. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time. We get into the holiday spirit with the new holiday novella from Janice Hallert, plus a sneak peek at her new mystery set to be released in the new year. Until then, keep track of us on Instagram, where I recently shared a pic of my favorite reading spot. You can also catch up with us on X, both accounts at Lisa T Books. I am Lisa T. Keep turning those pages.